there, it's Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. This is episode 23, and we're going to talk about things that we may not realize that can happen in a relationship involving an abusive partner. So I'm going to add a disclaimer here because we're going to be discussing specific aspects of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, and it can definitely get triggering. So if it does, pause the episode, do some mindful belly breathing or any of the other tools we've learned or one that you like to use to get grounded, centered, and feel safe. Then come back when you're ready. I'm so glad we're walking the path towards healing together. So just a quick reminder, I'm not a clinician, counselor, or physician. I'm a certified trauma and resiliency life coach and a certified trauma support specialist, along with someone who has lots of lived experience with trauma. Also, the information presented in this podcast is for educational purposes only and not meant to replace treatment by a doctor or any other licensed professional. As an added note, if you're in a relationship where your safety, mental, physical, and emotional health are at risk, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 for help in leaving the relationship safely and for other resources. And if you're in a situation where you feel you are in immediate danger, please call 911. All right, let's dive in. So in the last few episodes, we've gone over lots of different aspects of relationships, including abusive relationships, and how those of us with trauma histories can be particularly vulnerable to becoming involved in those kind of relationships. And we've also talked about the fact that the price we pay for being in these types of relationships comes at a huge cost, personal cost, to ourselves. So today I want to talk about a couple of things that we don't even think about or realize that can happen to us During a physical incident, we need to think about brain injury and what happens to our brains when we get physically hurt. So we all basically know what our brain looks like inside of our skull. Our brain is connected to our body by the spinal cord. The brain is surrounded in our skull by something called cerebral spinal fluid. This clear fluid acts as a kind of shock absorber or cushion to protect our brains. If we're jolted, this helps keep the brain from hitting the inside of our hard, bony skull. However, when we are being physically hurt by anyone, or more specifically in this case by our intimate partner, it can actually hurt our brains. If you are hit anywhere, in the head, face, or neck, are violently shaken, are thrown, shoved, pushed, or strangled, this can all cause damage to our brains. So when these things happen, 
The fluid around our brains isn't enough to cushion or stop the brain from banging against the inside of our skull. So think of a pickle by itself inside of a jar surrounded by the green liquid or brine. So if you shake the jar rapidly back and forth, that pickle, in spite of being surrounded by that liquid, is going to bang back and forth against the inside of the jar. The same thing happens to your brain. So during my abusive relationship, I was hit repeatedly in the head and face with both open and closed fists and with objects too. I was violently shaken. I was thrown against walls, hit my head on concrete floors, tables, counters, you name it, I collided with it. So when our brains slam back and forth inside against our skull, this is called a concussion. It is an injury to our brain, and we most likely don't even realize it. I know that after I was hurt, I would have headaches, dizziness, see stars or spots, feel confused and disoriented, but these things would gradually go away. But these types of injuries happened very, very frequently to me. So my brain never had the chance to heal from one incident to the next. So over time, I began to notice that I had lots and lots of headaches. My memory was terrible. My balance was way off. And even though I have a really good vocabulary, I often found I couldn't find words for things. I had to search to remember you know, words for just even common everyday items. While reading, words would also jump around on the page. It was so weird. I also got really confused easily. So I'll give you an example of something that happened. One night, I was driving on a two-lane road, and I was in the right lane as I should have been. All of a sudden, for no reason, I pulled over into the left-hand lane, into the lane where oncoming traffic would be, and just started driving like it was completely normal. And thank God there was no oncoming traffic. My abuser was in the car with me, and he was turned around talking to a friend in the back seat. So it took him about 10, roughly 10 to 15 seconds before he realized what I was doing. He screamed at me to pull back into the other lane. And it was like I all of a sudden woke up or came to and realized what I was doing. So I swerved back into the right-hand lane and, and just was completely shaken. I mean, I had no idea what the hell had just happened. But I knew after that something was really, really wrong. It wasn't until I left the abusive relationship for good the last time that I found out what was going on. So I know I've mentioned it before, but four months after I left the last time, I survived a burst brain aneurysm, which is a brain bleed. And a lot of people don't survive those things. I did. I was very lucky. And it was during the, you know, the CT scans and MRIs that they did at that time that they found evidence of scarring and things like that that told the doctors that I had traumatic brain injury. So I have traumatic brain injury. And it still sounds really strange when I hear myself say it. 
We're finding out more and more about traumatic brain injury as a result of domestic partner violence or intimate partner violence and how often it happens. We get hurt by our abusers, but unless it's something drastic or an extremely bad injury, we typically aren't allowed to get medical treatment. I mean, if we did, our abusers might get in trouble, right? So we're not allowed to get the help we need. But if you ever have an incident where your head is hurt, your airway is constricted, and you lose consciousness or have nausea or vomiting, you need immediate medical attention and do not hesitate to call 911. Your life might depend on it. So we go through these things and we're not allowed to get medical treatment and we do the best we can to try to heal on our own. However, many of us are hurt repeatedly over and over. Our brains get hurt and don't have the chance to heal from one injury to the next. Over time, that builds up. And some of us may notice things, you know, you may notice things like I did. Bad memory, headaches, dizziness, terrible balance, fogginess and forgetfulness, among other things. Other symptoms are things like blurry vision slurred speech, ringing in the ears, and being really sensitive to lights and sounds. You may sleep more or less than usual, have mood swings, or feel really depressed. And I know it sounds strange, but almost worse than being injured is how our abusers use these symptoms that we have against us. Here we are, hurt and not able to recover, and experiencing so many different symptoms, and our abusers continually tell us that we're stupid, lazy, can't say or do things right, whatever it might be. They find fault with us, and we believe them. Again, it's that, it must be me. It must be something wrong with me. During an abusive relationship, we become so conditioned into believing that something is inherently wrong with us. We hear it over and over again. You know, it really is like being a prisoner of war. We really do live through varying degrees of torture, and it doesn't have to be physical. The fear, the mental, emotional, financial abuse, being deprived of support, connection, help, hope, sleep, food, Whatever it is, it all takes its toll on us. When I was teaching classes at the domestic violence shelter I worked at here in Phoenix, one evening during class, I was talking about some of the signs and symptoms of brain injury. And I mentioned one of my symptoms, the one where, you know, when reading words kind of jump around on the page. And one of the ladies in my class just suddenly jumped up. She had this completely stunned look on her face, and she said, when I read, that happens to me. Words move around on the page and letters get mixed up, and I can't make sense out of things. I said, again, these could be signs of brain injury. She looked at me and just said, you mean I might actually have something wrong with me? That I'm not dumb or stupid? 
I told her gently, of course, that she wasn't stupid and that we needed to look into getting her to a doctor right away. She sat down and started crying, but they were tears of relief, tears of letting go of that false narrative she had heard for so long from her abuser. I will never forget her or that moment. We did get her treatment and therapy, and her symptoms improved so much. Over the years, I've had many of those kind of moments with survivors when that light comes on. They make that connection. Not that it's okay to have anything physically wrong with you, but understanding that it's not our fault and it's not a failure on our part of some kind. It's a physical thing, an injury that we can heal from, make better, and repair. There are so many pieces to this puzzle. And another piece of this is that symptoms of trauma, mental health, and brain injury can all overlap. They have many of the same symptoms. So how do you know what's going on? You really don't, not unless you get medical attention. Concussions also don't always show up on a brain scan like a CT scan or an MRI. But there are other ways that medical professionals can diagnose brain injury. So it's pretty safe to assume that if you get hit in the head, face, neck, are violently shaken, thrown, or hit your head against anything, you've likely suffered a concussion or brain injury. Another piece to this puzzle, and it's a really important piece, is strangulation. Strangulation cuts off oxygen to your brain and can cause brain injury. And this is not the same thing as choking. There is a difference. Choking is like what happens when you get a piece of food stuck in your throat. Strangulation is any external or outside pressure put on your airway that restricts your breathing. This could be from someone's hands or arm around your neck or on your neck, someone sitting on your chest or back, or by using something on or around your neck to cut off your breathing, like a rope, a scarf, a belt, anything. It takes a very small amount of pressure on someone's neck to cause a decrease in oxygen to the brain and cause damage. And this is an extremely serious note. If your abuser strangles you or has ever strangled you or cut off your airway, your risk of being killed by them is 10 times higher. Abusers use this as the ultimate weapon of control. They're demonstrating to you that they have the ability to hold your life in their hands. They can take it away in an instant. And many abusers kill their partners. It's a fact, a reality. That's why planning to leave safely is so important. Your life might literally depend on it. After an incident, you may or may not black out or lose consciousness, 
you don't have to lose consciousness. You also may or may not even remember what happened. There might not be any visible marks on the outside to show that you've been hurt. If the police or emergency responders come, it may be very hard for you to describe what happened and to answer their questions. And that's okay. It's normal. Tell them anything you remember as best you can. Again, the effects of brain injury may also not show up right away. They can show up days, weeks, even years later. And I'm going to go through some of the common signs and symptoms. So some physical problems might be headaches, sleeping problems, sensitivity to light or noise, vision problems, bloodshot eyes, trouble swallowing, a raspy voice, and the swallowing and the raspy voice are if you've had your airway restricted, dizziness, balance problems, fatigue, seizures. Some emotional problems could be extreme worries and fears, panic attacks, flashbacks, sadness, depression, hopelessness, anger or rage, irritability, inability to control your, your reactions or emotions. You can have problems with thinking, remembering things, multitasking, which is doing more than one thing at a time, paying attention or focusing, problem solving, getting things started, figuring out what to do next, and organizing things. And again, this can all sound like things we deal with every day, things that we may have as a result of mental health issues or because of our trauma. So, you know, you really need to start with a doctor to be able to sort things out. And you don't have to have any outward signs to have sustained a brain injury. If you don't feel right in any way, get medical attention. Call 911 in an emergency. And if there is no way to get medical help, here are some things you can do to try to help yourself heal. Keep lights low and keep the noise level to a minimum. I know if you have kids, you have to work. This can be almost impossible, but just do the best you can to care for yourself. Rest is crucial and keep any screen time, phone, TV, computer to a minimum. And write down any symptoms or things you notice that are different about how you're feeling. Things that are out of what you consider normal for you. This is a record that you can take with you to a doctor or take with you if you go to an emergency room. I know that I deal with the effects of brain injury, trauma, and mental health issues on a daily basis. My balance is almost non-existent. I mean, I fall down or over a lot. My focus and concentration are good some days, other days not so much. I can feel foggy, slow, not with it. I have days where I struggle to find words. My memory is also not great. I have to write everything down. And thank goodness for Google Calendar, tasks, reminders, and other apps. Before those tools, I was the queen of sticky notes. I had them everywhere. And I also lost some of my eyesight 
due to the ruptured brain aneurysm. So I don't drive very much anymore. My handwriting also completely sucks. So I use apps like Evernotes or even just simple built-in recording apps to, you know, record thoughts, reminders, notes, anything I need to remember. And I have no problem using any app or anything I need in order to get through things and be successful. The good news is you can recover from brain injury. But again, it takes working with a doctor to decide what's going on and what treatment or therapy options might work best for you. For example, a doctor might refer you to physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, among other things, to help relieve or work through your symptoms. Also, if possible, and this is important, ask your providers if they are trauma-informed. And as we've talked about, trauma-informed care is very important because it looks at your entire situation, your past and current traumatic experiences, environment, how you learn, everything. It looks at what has happened to you as opposed to what's wrong with you. So no matter what kind of medical professional you're working with, even therapists or counselors, Ask them this question. It is perfectly okay and right that you speak up for and ask for what you want regarding your care and treatment. If you have questions for a doctor or therapist, write everything down ahead of time and take that list with you to your appointment. You can either read it to them or you can hand them the list and have them read it if you don't feel comfortable in doing it. Again, I'm going to mention that if you are in an unsafe situation or an abusive relationship, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline 24-7 at 1-800-799-7233 for help and resources in leaving the relationship safely. If you're in a situation where you are in immediate danger, please don't hesitate to call 911. We've discussed some really hard things, and thank you for sticking in there with me. It is not an easy thing for me to talk about, and I know it's hard to hear, and it can bring up so much for us. This information I share is designed to help raise awareness, and if it helps just one person listening, it is so worth it. We have to remind ourselves over and over again that we are capable, strong, brave survivors. I mean, look at everything we've been through and we're still here. And I want you to know that you deserve a life that feels safe, a life that you create for yourself full of people that are supportive of you, not full of people that hurt, mistreat, disrespect, and abuse you. Even if you feel stuck, trapped, like there is no way out of the situation you may be in, reaching out for help is that first step. Now, we've gone over safety planning, and you can call the hotline to go over safety planning again Or you can reach out to me anytime 
for help, resources, or for just someone to listen. And I'm going to give you my email. My email is Carrie Walker, K-E-R-R-I-W-A-L-K-E-R, the numbers four and three at gmail.com. And I will be more than happy to help in any way I can. So this is where I like to close this out with a new exercise, something we can add to that mindfulness toolbox we're building together. Remember, you don't have to do this now or at all if you don't want to, but you might just listen and tuck it away in your mind for future reference. I'm going to invite you to find a safe, comfortable space to stand or sit, whatever is most supportive for you. We're going to bring awareness to our bodies and release any tension we may be feeling. You can do this with your eyes open or closed. It's up to you. If you leave your eyes open, have them rest gently on something, a space not too busy, like a blank wall or door. We always start with our mindful belly breathing. Breathe slowly in through your nose, your belly naturally pushing out as you inhale to a count of five. Hold your breath for a count of one. Then slowly exhale out of your mouth. Your belly should naturally move in as you exhale to a count of five. Do this five times. We should be standing or seated in a relaxed body, loose joints, feeling comfortable. These movements should also only be done if you are able to. They can be modified and should be small, gentle movements, not forcing or stretching our bodies to their limits. As we continue letting our breath flow slowly in and out, bring your awareness to your feet. Shift your balance lightly from one foot to the other. One foot is slightly off the ground, the other is on the floor. Then raise your other foot up slightly, gently back and forth. Notice how your feet feel when they gently connect to the floor as you shift back and forth from foot to foot. You can do this for as long as it feels comfortable for you. Next, again, if it's comfortable and if you're able, as you shift your weight from foot to foot, the foot that's slightly raised, wiggle that foot using your ankle to move it around. If you have issues with your balance, you should definitely do this seated in a chair, in a bed, or on a solid surface. Do this for a few seconds. Gently put that foot on the ground, raise your other foot gently, and wiggle it the same way. It might feel good flexing your ankle gently, stretching those muscles a bit. Do that back and forth as you shift your weight gently from foot to foot, wiggling each foot. Do this as long as you feel comfortable with it. Next, 
If you're standing, and you can do this safely, lean your weight slightly forward and gently bend your knees. Then gently shift your weight back so you are standing, gently straightening your knees but not locking them. If you're seated, you could gently lift one leg up, slightly bending your knee, place that foot back on the ground, and gently lift up the other leg, slightly bending the knee. Feel that slight stretch to your muscles. Do this as long as it feels comfortable for you. Next, bring awareness to your pelvis or your hip area. If you can do this safely while standing, gently move your hips side to side. Small movements. It should feel easy. Your knees bent slightly. Feel the slight stretch of those muscles as you gently rock your hips from side to side. If you're seated, you can gently lift up on your sits bones. Move slightly to one side and then to the other. If you move gently to the left, your right glute will lift slightly up off the chair or wherever you're seated. If you move to the right, your left glute will be off the seat. Feel that slight stretch of your muscles as you move gently. Continue letting your breath flow slowly in and out. Next, I'd like you to bring awareness to your shoulders. If you're standing in your relaxed posture and you can do this safely, gently shrug your shoulders. Gently lift your shoulders up and then down. You can do this in your seated position as well. Again, just feel that slight stretching of those muscles. Do this for as long as it feels comfortable for you. Continue letting your breath flow in and out. Next, bring awareness to your neck. You can do this either standing or seated. And if you can do this safely, gently, using small movements, roll your head gently forward, then gently back just a little. Feel the very tiny stretch of your neck muscles. Do this for as long as you wish. And if this causes you discomfort in any way, do not do this movement. Simply breathe. Finally, whether standing or seated, and if it is something you can do safely, give yourself a gentle upper body all over stretch, like you might do first thing in the morning when you wake up. Raise your arms up, stretch them out gently, squeeze your shoulder blades together gently, and release. You can also wrap up this exercise by gently shaking your arms, legs, hands, shaking off any excess energy or tension you might be feeling. Bring your awareness slowly back to your breathing. Breathe slowly in through your nose and out through your mouth. If your eyes were closed, gently open them and orient them to your surroundings. If your eyes were open, 
Bring them back to focus on something near you. Take a little personal inventory. How do you feel? Do you feel calmer, more grounded, more relaxed? I hope these exercises are something that you found helpful and it's more tools to add to our mindfulness toolbox that we're building together. So whenever you need to go to that toolbox and pull out any skill we've learned, do it. You've created it. It's there for you to use whenever you need it. So I've also created a list of all the steps of the exercises we do and have put them on my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com, and I'll keep adding to it as we go along. And I've also put each exercise to beautiful video and music on my YouTube channel, Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma. Please subscribe if you like what you see and hear. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And please keep on listening wherever you listen. Please like, subscribe, favorite, follow me, and share widely. And what you think really matters to me too. So comment on the show. Let me know what you think, whatever's on your mind. You can find me on Facebook at Invisible Wounds Healing from Trauma, on Twitter at Walker 58 and my website, InvisibleWoundsHealingFromTrauma.com. Look for my new episodes dropping every Monday on all of your favorite podcasts, music, and listening apps for Android, for Apple, on the web, wherever you listen. Please take extra good care of yourself. And we'll talk soon.